Chapter Ten of Child Life in Colonial Days by Alice Morse Earle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Old Time Discipline. My child and scholar, take good heed unto the words that are here set and see thou do accordingly or else be sure thou shalt be beat from the english schoolmaster edward coote sixteen eighty the manner of old-time children differed as much from the carriage of children to-day as the severe and arbitrary modes of discipline of colonial days differed from the persuasive explanations the moral inculcations and exhortations by which modern youth are influenced to obedience parents teachers and ministers chanted in solemn and unceasing chorus foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and they believed the only cure for that foolishness was in stern repression and sharp correction above all in the rod they found abundant support for this belief in the bible their constant guide john robinson the pilgrim preacher said in his essay on children and their education quote, surely there is in all children though not all alike a stubbornness and stoutness of mind arising from natural pride which must in the first place be broken and beaten down that so the foundation of their education being laid in humility and tractableness other virtues may in their time be built thereon it is commendable in a horse that he be stout and stomachful being never left to his own government but always to have his rider on his back and his bit in his mouth but who would have his child like his horse in his brutishness? Unquote. The chief field of the breaking and beating down process was in school. English schoolmasters were proverbial for their severity, and from earliest days, though monks with their classes are never depicted with the rod, we find agnes paston in 1457 writing in london for word to be delivered to the schoolmaster of her son clement who was then sixteen years old quote, if he hath not do well nor will not amend pray him that he will truly belash him till he will amend and so did the last master and the best that ever he had at cambridge and say i will give him ten marks for his labor 
for i had lever he were berided than lost for default unquote. she herself had quote, born on hand unquote, on her marriageable daughter beating her every week sometimes twice a day quote, and her head broken in two or three places unquote. This seems to have been the usual custom of the British matron in high life. Lady Jane Grey, when she was fifteen years old, never came into the presence of her father and mother, but she was, quote, sharply taunted, cruelly threatened, yea, punished sometimes with pinches, nips, bobs, and other way. Unquote. Elizabeth, Lady Falkland, as long as her mother lived, always spoke to that rigid lady while kneeling before her, quote, sometimes for more than an hour together, though she was but an ill kneeler and worse riser. Unquote. Poor Elizabeth! She was an only child an inheritress, but she could truthfully aver she never was spoiled. An early allusion to school discipline is in the boy's bishop sermon from the press of Wyken the Word, who died in 1535. It runs thus, quote, There is no fault he doth, but he is punished. Sometimes he wringeth him by the ear, sometimes he giveth him a stripe on the hand with the ferrule, sometimes beateth him sharply with the rod. Unquote. Great Cromwell was sent off to school with injunctions to the master, Dr. Beard, to flog the boy soundly quote, for persisting in the wickedness of the assertion, unquote, that he had had a vision and prophecy of his future greatness. Dr. Johnson told of the unmerciful beating he had by one master hunter who was, quote, very wrong-headedly severe, unquote, he said the man never distinguished between ignorance and negligence, and beat as hard for not knowing a thing as for neglecting to know it. And as he whipped with shout, quote, This I do to save you from the gallows, unquote. Still the doctor was grateful for the beatings, as he felt to them he owed his knowledge of Latin, and he approved of the rod, saying of some well-behaved young ladies whose mother had whipped them oft and heavily, in variations of one of Shakespeare's lines, quote, Rod, I will honor thee for this thy duty, unquote. His creed of correction was this, quote, I would rather have the rod to be the general terror to all, to make them learn, than to tell a child, if you do this or thus, 
you will be more esteemed than your brothers and sisters the rod produces an effect which terminates in itself a child is afraid of being whipped and gets his task and there's an end on it whereas by exciting emulation and comparisons of superiority you lay the foundation of lasting mischief you make brothers and sisters hate each other Unquote. the illustrations of old dutch books that show school furniture have the odd pharaohs of monkish days the flat ladle-shaped pieces of wood which were distinctly for striking the palm of the scholar's hand the derivation of the word feral is interesting it is from ferula fennel the tough stalks of the giant fennel of southern europe were used by the roman schoolmasters as an instrument of castigation old english lesson books of the seventeenth and eighteenth century many even of the early years of this century that have any illustrations of classes schoolmasters or school interiors invariably picture the master with a rod or bunch of birch twigs an old herbalist says quote, i have not read of any virtue birch hath in physic howbeit it serves many good uses and none better than for beating of stubborn boys that either lie or will not learn unquote. Birch rods were tauntingly sold on London streets with a cry by peddlers, Buy my fine jimmies, buy my London tartars. Unquote. Even the miserable Dies Pragmaticus enumerated quote, Fine rod for children of willow and birch unquote, among his wares. A crowning insult was charging the cost of birch rod on schoolboys' bills, and in some cases making the boy pay for the birch out of his scant spending money. Birch trees were plentiful in America, and whippings, too. Scholars in New England were not permitted to forget the methods of discipline of the good old days massachusetts schools resounded with strokes of the rod various instruments of chastisements were known from quote, a bessemer birch for babes very fit to a long-lasting libet for lubbers as meat unquote. a libet was a billet of wood and a and the heavy walnut stick of one boston's master well deserved the name a cruel inquisitor invented an instrument of torture which he termed a flapper it was a heavy piece of leather six inches in diameter with a hole in the middle this was fastened by an edge to a pliable handle every stroke on the bare flesh raised a blister the size of the hole in the leather equally brutal was the tattling stick a cat o nine tails with heavy leather straps the whipping with this tattling stick was ordered to be done upon a peak block whatever that may be 
that fierce boston disciplinarian and patriot master lovell whipped with strong birch rods and made one culprit mount the back of another scholar to receive his lashing he called these whippings trouncings the good old english word of the elizabethan dramatists another brutal boston master struck his scholars on the head with a ferule until this was forbidden by the school directors he then whipped the soles of the scholars feet and roared out in an ecstasy of cruelty oh the caitiffs it is good for them there was sometimes an aftermath of sorrow when our stern old grandfathers whipped their children at home for being whipped at school so told reverend eliphalet not many ingenious punishments were invented a specially insulting one was to send the pupil out to cut a small branch of a tree a split was made by the teacher at the severed end of the branch and the culprit's nose was placed in the cleft end then he was forced to stand painfully pinched an object of ridicule a familiar punishment of the dame school which lingered till our own day was the smart tapping of the child's head with a heavy thimble this was known as thimble pie another was to yoke two delinquents together in a yoke made with two boughs like an ox yoke sometimes a boy and a girl were yoked together a terrible disgrace whispering sticks were used to preserve quiet in the schoolroom two are shown here wooden gags to be tied in the mouth with strings somewhat as a bit is placed in a horse's mouth children were punished by being seated on a unipod a stool with but a single leg upon which it was most tiring to try to balance they were made to stand on dunce-tools and wear dunce-caps and heavy leather spectacles they were labeled with large placards marked with degrading or ridiculous names such as tell-tale bite-finger baby lying ananias idle boy and pert miss pratapace one of miss hetty higginson's punishments in her salem school at the beginning of this century was to make a child hold a heavy book such as a dictionary by a single leaf of course any restless motion would tear the leaf her rewards of merit should be also told she would divide a single strawberry in minute portions among six or more scholars she had a bussy or good child who was to be kissed many stories have been told of special punishments invented by special teacher the schoolmaster at flatbush was annoyed by the children in his school constantly using dutch words as he was employed to teach them english he gave every day to the first scholar who used a dutch word a little metal token or medal this scholar could promptly transfer the token to the next child who spoke a dutch word and so on thus it went from hand to hand through the day 
but the unlucky scholar who had the token in his possession at the close of school received a sound whipping an amusing method of securing good lessons and good behavior was employed by old ezekiel cheever and was thus told by one of his pupils rev john barnard quote, i was a very naughty boy much given to play insomuch that master cheever openly declared you barnard i know you can do well enough if you will but you are so full of play you hinder your classmates from getting their lessons therefore if any of them cannot perform their duty i shall correct you for it one day one of my classmates did not look at his book and could not say his lesson though i called upon him once and again to mind his book whereupon our master beat me the boy was pleased with my being corrected and persisted in his neglect for which i was still beaten and that for several days i thought in justice i ought to correct the boy and compel him to a better temper therefore after school was done i went to him and told him i had been beaten several times for his neglect and since master would not correct him i would and then drummed him heartily the famous lancasterian system that of monitorial schools discountenanced the rod but the forms of punishment were not wholly above criticism they were the neck and hands pillory familiar up to that date in england and america as a public punishment of criminals wooden shackles hanging in a sack tying the legs together and labeling the name of the offence against rules i found nothing to show that dutch schoolmasters were as severe as those of the english colonies dr curtius the first master of the latin school in new amsterdam complained that his hands were tied as some of the parents of his scholars forbade him punishing their children and that as a result these unruly young dutchmen beat each other and tore the clothes from each other's backs the contract between the flatbush church and schoolmaster dated sixteen eighty two specifies that he shall demean himself patiently and friendly towards the children the discipline of master leslie a new york teacher of the next century is described by eliza morton quincy in her delightful memoirs the date is about seventeen eighty two Quote, his modes of punishment would astonish children of the present day one of them was to hold blocks they were of two sizes the large one was a heavy block of wood with a ring in the centre by which it was to be held a definite number of minutes according to the magnitude of the offence the smaller block was for the younger child another punishment was by a number of leather straps about an inch wide and a finger long with which he used to strap the hands of the larger boys one german schoolmaster samuel dock stands out in relief of this desert of ignorance and cruelty 
With simplicity and earnestness, he wrote in 1750 the story of his successful teaching, as in simplicity and earnestness he taught in his school at Shipak. His story is as homely as his life. Quote, how I receive the children in school. It is done in the following manner. The child is first welcomed by the other scholars, who extend their hands to it. It is then asked by me whether it will learn industriously and be obedient. If it promises me this, I explain to it how it must behave, and if it can say its ABCs in order, one after the other, and also by way of proof can point out with the forefinger all the designated letters, it is put into the AB abs. When it gets thus far, its father must give it a penny, and its mother must cook for it two eggs, because of its industry, and a similar reward is due to it when it goes further into words and so forth." Unquote. He made them little presents as prizes, drew pictures for them, taught them singing, and also musical notation, and he had a plan to have the children teach each other. He had a careful set of rules for their behavior, to try to change them from brutish peasants to intelligent citizens. They must be clean, and delinquents were not punished with the rod, but by having the whole school write and shout their, out their names with the word lazy attached. Letter writing was carefully taught, with exercises in writing to various people and to each other. Profanity was punished by wearing a yoke and by being told the awful purport of the oaths. He taught spelling and reading and much Bible instruction, but he did not teach the catechism, since he had scholars of many sects and denominations. However, he made them all learn and understand what he called the honey flowers of the New Testament. In order to appreciate his gentleness and intelligence, one should know of the drunken, dirty, careless, and cruel teachers in other Pennsylvania schools, one whipped daily and hourly with a hickory club with leather thongs attached at one end. This he called the taws. Another had a row of rods of different sizes, which, with ugly humor, he termed his mint sticks. Another, nicknamed Tiptoe Bobby, also carried a raccoon's tail, slightly weighted at the butt-end. This he would throw with sudden accuracy at any offender, who meekly returned it to his instructor, and received a fierce whipping with a butt-end of rawhide with strips of leather at the smaller end. One Quaker teacher in Philadelphia, John Todd, had such a passion for incessant whipping that after reading accounts of his ferocious discipline, his manner, and his words, 
the only explanation of his violence and cruelty is that of insanity there is no doubt that the practice of whipping servants was common here not only children who were bound out and apprentices and young redemptioners but grown servants as well occasionally the cruel master was fined or punished for a brutal over-exercise of his right of punishment at least one little child died from the hand of his murderous master in boston and other towns commissioners were elected who had power to sentence to be whipped exceeding ten stripes children and servants who behaved disobediently and disorderly toward their parents masters and governors to the disturbance of families and discouragements of such parents and governors in hartford connecticut a topping young maid felt the force of a similar law Quote, susan coles for her rebellious carriage towards her mistress is to be sent to the house of correction and be kept to hard labor and coarse diet to be brought forth in next lecture day to be publicly corrected and so be corrected weekly until order be given to the contrary unquote. scores of similar records might be given judge sewell in his diary never refers to punishing his servants nor to any need of punishing them there is some evidence of his faithfulness and of his satisfaction in it especially in references to his negro man-servant boston who after a life of faithful service was buried like a gentleman with a ceremonious funeral a notice of his death in the newsletter a well-worn parlor chairs set in orderly rows cake and wine and doubtless gloves john winter was the head agent of a london company at a settlement in richmond's island in maine his wife had an idle maid and some report of her beating this maid was sent back to england winter writes quote, you write of some ill report is given of my wife for beating the maid if a fair way will not do that beating must sometimes upon such idle girls as she is if you think that it fit for my wife to do all the work and the maid sit still and she must forbear her hands to strike them then the work will lie undone her beating that she hath had had never hurt her body nor limes she is so fat and soggy she can hardly do any work if this maid at her lazy times when she hath been found in her hill asions does not deserve two or three blows i pray you who hath the most reason to complain my wife or maid my wife hath an unthankful office unquote. it has surprised me that this complaint and others should have been sent home to england where as we have abundant evidence the whipping of servants was excessive and constant pepys and other old english authors made frequent note of it 
Pepys whipped his boy till his arm was lame. The diary of a lady of quality gives some glimpse of this custom. On January 30, 1760, Lady Frances Penoyer writes at her home at Bullingham Court, Herefordshire, that one of her maids spoke in the housekeeper's room about a matter that was not to the credit of the family. My lady knew there was truth in what the girl said, but it was not her place to speak of it, and she must be taught to know and keep her place. The diarist writes, quote, She hath a pretty face, and should not be too ready to speak ill of those above her in station. I should be very sorry to turn her adrift upon the world, and she hath but a poor home. Sent for her to my room, and gave her choice either to be well whipped or to leave the house instantly. She chose wisely, I think, with many tears, said I might do what I liked. I bade her attend my chamber at twelve. Dear love, my maid came to my room as I bade her. I bade her fetch the rod from what was my mother-in-law's rod closet, and kneel and ask pardon, which she did with tears. I made her prepare, and I whipped her well. The girl's flesh is plump and firm, and she is a cleanly person, such a one not excepting my own daughters who are thin, and one of them Charlotte rather sallow, as I have not whipped for a long time. She had never been whipped before, she says, since she was a child. What can her mother and the late lady have been about, I wonder? And she cried out a great deal." Unquote. Poor little dear love, fair and plump and in bitter tears, you make a more pleasing picture seen through the haze of a century than a fierce my lady with her rod. The many hundred pages of Judge Sewell's diary give abundant testimony of his tender affection for his children. In this record of his entire married life, he but twice refers to punishing his children. Once his son was whipped for telling a lie, a second he notes the punishment thus. 1692, November 6. Joseph threw a knob of brass and hit his sister Betty upon the forehead so as to make it bleed, upon which, after his playing at prayer time and eating when returned thanks, I whipped him pretty smartly. When I first went in, called by his grandmother, he sought to shadow and hide himself from me behind the head of the cradle, which gave me the sorrowful remembrance of Adam's carriage." Unquote. It was natural that Judge Sewell, ever finding symbols of religious signification in natural events, should see in his son Joseph's demeanor a painful reminder of original sin, and we can imagine with what sad sense of duty he whipped him. It is the standard resort of ignorant writers upon Puritanism, and especially upon Puritanic severity, to give the name of Cotton Manor 
a prime expositor of cruel discipline i have before me a magazine illustration which represents him lean lank violent and mean of aspect with clipped head raising a heavy bunch of rods over a cowering child he was in reality exceedingly handsome very richly bewigged with a full distinctly sensual countenance of the cottons not the severe ascetic features of the mathers and he as strongly opposed punishment by the rod as most of his friends and neighbors favored and practiced it his son wrote of him quote, the slavish way of education carried on with raving and kicking and scourging in schools as well as in families he looked upon as a dreadful judgment of god on the world he thought the practice abominable and expressed a mortal aversion to it the first chastisement which he would inflict for any ordinary fault was to let the child see and hear him in an astonishment and hardly able to believe that the child would do so base a thing he would never come to give the child a blow except in case of obstinacy or something very criminal to be chased for a while out of his presence he would make to be looked upon as the sorest punishment in his family unquote. there can be found episodes of colonial history where the disprejudiced modern mind can perceive ample need of the sharp whippings so freely bestowed upon dull or idle scholars and slow servants cotton manner was too gentle and too forbearing towards certain children with whom he had close relations a warm birch applied in the early stages of that terrible tragedy the salem witchcraft to anne putnam the protagonist of that drama would doubtless so quickly have ended in its incipiency as to obliterate it entirely from the pages of history End of chapter 10